0: I'm Sam Slater from Caliber and today is International Podcast Day. So for a change, we've asked an investor to host today's interview. And we have Dr. Beth Van Vakus, who's kindly volunteered. Beth, just before we start, would you like to share with our listeners how long you've been an investor and what you're saving for, please? I've been investing monthly for about five years now, and I guess now I'm currently saving for my retirement. I mean, I have been saving prior to this for house renovations, which are now ongoing, so uh, now I guess I'm saving for retirement and other other things. Great, thank you. Now I'll hand over to you to chat with James Thompson, Manager of Westbone Global Opportunities Fund. Hi, James. Thanks Hi, for Beth. Joining. Thanks very
1: much for having me.
0: Okay, so as I'm sure you're expecting, uh, I'm going to ask you quite a few questions that are related to the uh, novel coronavirus uh, pandemic, particularly as I'm... Uh, I'm a lecturer at Imperial College. So I'm a, I'm a biologist. So I have uh, quite a lot of interest in the, the pandemic as well.
1: Well, well, thank you for your work too, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so i us start off with these ones. So you've got um, Amazon, PayPal, Ocado in your 10 largest holdings and probably other companies um, related to online shopping. I was wondering if you're investing more in companies that are related to online shopping following the COVID pandemic and the lockdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, not surprisingly, e-commerce growth has has accelerated, you know, probably more than than anyone imagined. Um, you know, it's really been a lifeline for consumers, um, and in fact, a, a lot of people you know were introduced to online shopping who thought they didn't really need it. Now, many small businesses that I've come into contact with didn't even have an e-commerce offering or a digital presence, and they're now really scrambling. Now, the, the the transition is being complicated. Uh, by logistics, so you could source the item online, but you know, is it being posted to you, uh, click and collect, or as they call it in America, curbside pickup, which is booming uh, as consumers don't really want to dwell inside stores. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Amazon, PayPal, and Acado have been in the portfolio for years and, and were already hugely successful investments. You know, for instance, we've owned Amazon for almost ten years uh, and made twenty times our initial investment. So, I think we'll continue to make money from those companies, but you know probably not at that same rate. now I'm investing in companies that help other companies get online and sell so they can compete with Amazon. Now, I'm investing in a company that helps uh, consumers communicate with businesses and vital government services. Now, how many times during this pandemic have you know we had tried to get in touch with our bank or our pay TV provider or insurance company or local council? You know, only be met with that message that, you know, due to coronavirus, you may have to wait longer, we have fewer staff. You know, what if many of those questions uh, could be answered without speaking to a live person? You know, an automated conversation that is actually smart and works. You know, no more waiting on hold, no more having to call between nine and five. And just, a, you know, just a tiny fraction of groceries are delivered uh, to our door. Why? Uh, the UK is leading the charge for online grocery but the rest of the world is about to follow. Akado just announced a a 50% increase in sales. Uh, And I think really this is being used as a template for the rest of the world. Uh, And and the UK is really at the forefront. And then, you know, what about takeaway food. Uh, You know, many of us don't feel comfortable eating inside a restaurant, but, you know, don't want to ruin another meal at home with our terrible cooking. Uh, So the, the food and the restaurant industry is having to uh, digitalize and retool uh, for online ordering and home delivery. You know the companies that make uh, French fries and chips are having to change the coatings they put on their chips so they don't get soggy during the delivery. Getting hungry, uh, you know. This really is a, um, a tidal wave shift to online everything taking place right now, uh, and it's a it's a big feature of my fund.
0: Yeah that all that's all rings true to me. I mean I found getting through to a call center has been a nightmare but I'm using live chat a lot more now emails and yeah certainly lots more takeaways and hardly any restaurant I think I've been to one restaurant and that was such a novelty.
1: Yeah and that so, matches that matches with all the consumer surveys that our analysts have been doing is that you know despite the 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 perceived improvement in in the pandemic there is this lingering fear out there and um, the CEO of Ocado said, people want to spend their risk carefully. Uh, you know, if they don't need to take any risk by doing their gross- grocery shopping online, then, uh, that makes a lot of sense, but they probably do want to spend some risk seeing their friends and family and going for dinners. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's all about, you know, making these choices and, and online often makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Um so sort of following on from that slightly um obviously in the UK we've had the uh, furlough scheme which has been uh, very supportive for many businesses um preventing them having to lay off their staff um and other countries as well have had similar schemes in place uh do you think did this make a difference to your confidence in continuing to hold investments in the UK or other countries and do you think this will change as the schemes get um, as the schemes start to wind down
1: you know, furlough schemes uh, and, and really a broad package of government stimulus across the world has been a key you know, cash flow bridge for companies and individuals. If we rewind the clock back to 2008, you know, the last uh, crisis, it took over 600 days from the start of the crisis until the full stimulus package was enacted. This time, uh, it's been 100 days from discovery of the virus in January in China um, to to, to approval by uh, U.S. Congress and and governments around the world. That really is lightning speed, showing rare unanimity uh, and clarity of purpose. So that's actually, I think, why we saw the rally in the stock market from mid-March lows that surprised so many people. There was very little clarity then. Um, but that's what financial markets do. they anticipate. they start to rise when policy and liquidity is at its greatest, not necessarily when there's clarity. but um, you, you're right. I am worried about the next phase, and I think it will cause stock market volatility and real world hardship uh, in the in the months ahead. You know the difficulty with this crisis is that you know the recession. Uh, it, it, in, in some sectors, uh, you know, they're unaffected um, and might even be benefiting, like technology. But there are others, like hospitality and leisure, that are facing imminent collapse. Uh, and it doesn't help that the politicians are refusing to compromise in order to score political points. And you know, that's particularly true uh, in the run-up to the U.S. election.
0: Mm. Yes. Um so i go go two directions. I'll go for the um, healthcare. Because you're talking about companies, areas that are uh, expanding. Um, so you do have a, a decent proportion of investments in the healthcare sector. So do you think that the pandemic has created opportunities for private companies to uh, expand in this area?
1: Yeah, this is, this is another part of the market that is undergoing a significant change that started prior to the pandemic, but, but has been accelerated. You know, the COVID-19 vaccine um, is a good example. You know, most likely this vaccine will not be produced and manufactured by the company that discovered it. You know, increasingly, you know, the most innovative uh, early stage companies who come up with these breakthroughs, you know, they just don't have the capital, the time or the skill set to build $500 million multi-use manufacturing facilities that take three years to construct uh, ahead of a drug or a vaccine that, that may not you know, even get approved. You know, and we are, we are moving away from a world of mass-produced little pills. Um, you know, as you probably know more than most, you know, we're entering a world of, of, of tailored medicine, uh, biological drugs that are suited to small batch production that can be later modified or expanded you know, areas like monoclonal antibodies, cell and gene therapy, you know, I think this is where the big breakthroughs are going to happen in in cancer and Alzheimer's. Now, you can get, you know, very overexcited about um, these companies. I mean, who wouldn't want to be the first person to invest in a company that might discover the first ever sort of efficacious therapy for, for Alzheimer's? But, you know, don't forget that these private companies are, you know, they tend to have just a few products um, in clinical trials, and they're probably the highest risk investments you can make. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't do it in, in this fund. Um, an, from an investment perspective, I have chosen to invest in the companies that provide the healthcare equipment, that outsourced manufacturing, which is playing into uh, really what I think is an unstoppable trend
0: what about diagnostics? Do you have an interest in, there's quite a lot of uh, new technologies coming out in the diagnostic uh, area. Do you have any interest in investing in that field?
1: Yes. I mean, I have some tangential investments in sort of med tech uh, and companies who are in more in the equipment side of things. Um, I've had a look at a few U S diagnostic companies as well, but we haven't, we haven't pulled the trigger there yet. Um, But I'm invested in a company that makes, you know, the filters, the fermenters, the bioreactors that go into, into drug manufacturing. Um, I don't, I don't want to say who they are because I don't want to seem to be sort of feathering my own nest or, or tipping the stock. But, you know, they're, they're working, for instance, with about 80 the, percent of the COVID-19 vaccines that are currently in trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know which one will be successful, but you know, the chances are pretty good for the company that supplies the vital equipment uh, you know, to almost all of them.
0: So you mentioned uh, the US, so you hold quite a lot of uh, investments in uh, in the US. So how do you think uh, Joe Biden victory would affect the American and the international markets?
1: You know, stock markets have done well uh, under Trump, but that doesn't mean they can't do well uh, 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 in a Biden presidency. You know, he's, he's a centrist. Um, and what really investors have been most worried about is a sort of sharp 180. And, and that's really been taken off the table now. So the polls are showing by a, a statistically significant margin that a Biden victory is the most likely. Um, you know, but, but remember that presidential elections are won by swing voters in swing states. And they change their minds and they make their decisions late. And it's often heavily skewed to the outcome of near-term events. There's also a streak of anti-establishment uh, and shyness going around, meaning that what the you know the voter tells the pollster might not be the way they actually vote uh, in the anonymity of the polling booth. So overall, yeah you know, investors are expecting the unexpected, um, disputed results, uh, lawsuits, uh, and civil unrest, and you know can't be taken off the table. Actually, I think the outlier event, the one that people are expecting the least is a smooth vote, uh, a clear result uh, and calm transfer of power. You know, This would be good for all global stock markets, but it probably wouldn't be the same stocks that outperform in that environment. And we could see pretty significant change in, in stock market leadership as a result.
0: So, talking of uncertainty, the next big uh, topic in the UK is, of course, uh, Brexit. So, have you divested or delayed investing in any UK or other countries that um, trade with the UK due to the uncertainties surrounding uh, Brexit?
1: Yes, you know, but that, I mean, that goes back to 2016. You know, after the referendum, I reduced my UK exposure in this fund from 25% uh, down to 5 you know, I just didn't know how the process would run or turn out. And, you know, with a whole world of opportunities, why take the risk? Well, I started to to warm again to the UK after the general election. And while I don't necessarily agree with the with the path being taken, you know, at least there was clarity of purpose and a, and a clear mandate. And the negotiations have gotten noisier and uglier recently. Um. But, you know, don't shortchange the adaptability, the innovation, and the grit of British business. Some of the best companies in the world are here, run by smart, reliable, and honorable people. And we've got loyal friends all over the world who will back us. And once the the sort of cliff edge options are taken off the table, and there's some clarity on the new normal, I think there will be a flood of foreign investors who will come back in. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so my final question, um, I was thinking about um, sort of increasing awareness of climate change, particularly in in the the background of all these uh, wildfires in the US, and um, about how there's increased importance being placed on how companies treat employees. Um, So how much importance do you place on investing in new or established green technologies or incorporating um, how staff are taken care of by different companies? into your decision-making?
1: Well, this is not specifically uh, an ESG fund. So if you're looking for a fund that seeks out or excludes investments based purely on environmental technologies, then, then this isn't right for you. But I do want companies that I invest in to take their environmental, social, and governance responsibilities seriously. You know, I expect them to act and encourage the right behavior you know, even if it means sacrificing short-term profits. So even though this fund is not core ESG, my investment process and philosophy has a natural aversion to the biggest culprits. So we don't own any fossil fuel companies, no oil and gas, no utilities, no mining companies, tobacco companies, arms dealers, or defense companies. Now, to be balanced, I don't own any wind farms or solar technology either. But here, I have concerns about the, the pace of adoption, the profitability and, and the viability of some of those businesses. So I guess I'm not at either extreme. I sit you know, sort of rather boringly in the sweet spot middle.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. I found that really interesting. Uh, I think that's, that's all great. the questions I have for you.
1: Yeah, that's great. Oh, thanks Beth. No, that was that was that was excellent.
0: Thank you both very, very much for that. That was really interesting. And if you'd like to find out more about the Rathbone Global Opportunities Fund, please go to fundcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not
1: still hold these stocks at the time of your listening.